honor the reading of the opening passage of Scripture. If you can physically stand, please do that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. The message in our continuing series called Unified. Today, we're going to talk about being a place of wind and warfare. And I think it's perfectly time for Pentecost Sunday. I hope that it makes some of us uncomfortable because you never did anything worthwhile in your comfort zone. That's why it's comfortable. But I hope that some of us will also recognize that this isn't just a, a generic message. This is a message that I believe is going to have prophetic fulfillment right here in Newbridge Church. I do believe that this is tethered to part of God's purposes for raising up this church this year in such a unique way. So let's not let it be just an ooh and ah, wouldn't that be cool kind of message. Let's say, Lord, how does this take place right here beginning at the epicenter with what you're doing here at Newbridge? How does this take place? So let me get my glasses on because that way I know I'll be speaking English here. Here we go. The book of Acts, chapter number 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm going to make some unpopular statements this morning. What is going on in the political realm of the United States of America is not simply boys being boys and girls being bo girls and, and just people behaving badly. Behind the system of government as we now see it in this nation, there is the strategy of Satan being infused into legislative and executive processes. This is not simply man's depravity or bad decision-making or differences of opinion on policy. It's not simply left versus right, Republican versus Democrat. My friends, what we need to do is we need to take a step back and get a macrocosmic picture, an understanding of what is going on. These days that are taking place and unfolding before your eyes, your children's eyes, and your grandchildren's eyes, these days are days of abounding evil. And the evil that is happening is not happening in a corner. It is being thrust upon us by the most powerful people in the country. And so no matter which way you lean politically, I hope that you will lean into the word of God and recognize that when the highest office in the land decrees such a decree as was made last week about the, um, the necessity 
of all federally funded schools providing freedom for boys and girls and young people to choose which gender bathroom they will enter, do their business, and whatever else might happen, I want you to know it is not only unreasonable in its origin, it is diabolical in its origin. And so what I'm saying is this. We are in the midst of intense warfare. Please grasp this with me. If we don't grasp this, it will remain a political soccer ball that we're kicking back and forth but never putting into the net. We need to recognize that this is a crucial season for us. I am not here to tell you what you need to do, what I ought to do. I'm not organizing a march, and we're not going to head down Highway 20 with our banners and our signs beating our chest about this or that. What I'm saying is get sobered up and recognize that warfare has been here, but it is escalating, and it's coming to a climax where we will no longer be able on either side to straddle the fence. And so the church of the living God is the steward of the truth of God's word. And because we are the steward of God's word, we cannot afford to waffle in a season like this. But we need to understand that it's not about necessarily being louder. It's not necessarily about being more saturated. What it is is about connecting with a God who can do something about the warfare that's coming against his people. So the solution to a spiritual warfare is a spiritual solution. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And let me tell you, there are many strongholds in this nation that we need to address. That's my introduction. Let's get into the text. I want to tell you two things today. I have two fundamental points in Acts chapter 4, and you'll want to keep your, your Bibles uh, open because we want to cover even verses I didn't read from Acts, Acts 4, not Acts 24, Acts 4. I want to give you, first of all, what spiritual warfare sometimes looks like. And I want you to know this. I didn't craft this message on Friday after I read the headlines. This message was on paper two weeks ago before anything came out. That's why I believe that God wants us to recognize the context that this is being shared this morning. What spiritual warfare sometimes looks like? We're giving this opening statement in Acts 4.23. This is where I began, but you need context, which is what I'm going to provide. It says, when they were released, these Christian brothers were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In Acts chapter 3, one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts, you have a lame man that was healed divinely, miraculously healed. He's been begging and begging and begging his whole life, hoping to get by day after day. Peter and John go up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They, Peter makes the famous statement, silver and gold, I don't have any, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man walked, and the man shouted, and the man leapt. Totally messed up the temple service that day, brought joy into a place where no joy was expected, and miracles began to happen. This is not too long after the day of Pentecost had occurred. And so what you've got is you've got the city of Jerusalem really abuzz with what's going on. The proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the primary message of the first church and the early apostles. And so they're proclaiming resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. The problem is the Jewish authorities comprised mainly of Sadducees hated the doctrine of resurrection, didn't believe in it, and especially didn't want Jesus' name tethered to it. And so they were fighting the apostles. They were fighting against the early church, and the flames were about to get more intense. So they imprisoned uh, Peter and John. 
they, and the rest of this uh, first point is going to be, what did this warfare against them look like? And what might we expect it to look like in time to come here? That's right. I'm telling you, this isn't some fable of the past. It may be prophetic about your future. And so let's look at it here. First of all, what spiritual warfare sometimes looks like, sometimes it looks like those that are getting unjustly incarcerated. Look in verses 1 through 3 of chapter number 4. As they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, they're preaching. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, notice this, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now watch verse number three. Luke's very benign with it. He just says, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. And so it was nothing. For those in, and these were, by the way, primarily religious authorities. These were the same leaders who had instigated the betrayal and the crucifixion of Jesus using the Roman soldiers as their their, um, uh, uh, puppet to crucify Jesus. And now when they thought that he was dead, of course, now the testimony is that he's alive, they're running frantic trying to exterminate the message of Jesus. And Peter and John aren't making things easy for the enemies of Christ because they're, they're, they're working miracles and healings. And, and very soon the dead are going to be raised and all of these signs and wonders are taking place. And these men and, and some of the women too, they're, they're, they're so committed and nothing can derail them. And so the authorities begin to do what they can do to regulate, if not extinguish, the message about Jesus Christ. And part of that involved taking these two bold witnesses, Peter and John, through whom God was working miracles, and they lock them up. Now the Sanhedrin, 71 men, 70 men, and then the high priest would convene the next morning, so they kept them in jail overnight. But notice this, part of warfare that we're going to see in this country... Mark my words, it's not that far off. There will be the incarceration of Christians who refuse to compromise the biblical message in our lives as they're being lived out for Jesus Christ. You say, Jeff, that sounds like an alarmist. Well, it might have sounded like an alarmist in Daniel's day, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day, in Paul's day, in Peter's day, in John the Baptist's day. Maybe they would have sounded like the alarmist, but I'm going to tell you where it's happening all over the world, don't think for a second that American Christians are going to be immune from this. Why? Because it's already beginning. It's beginning in philosophy. It will move from philosophy to principle and from principle to particulars. And it will come hard and it will come heavy. Spiritual warfare coming through man also involves in verse number seven, them being aggressively interrogated. So the next morning, the Sanhedrin convenes, and they set them in the midst, and they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, they're not really interested in how the miracle, they're referring to the miracle. How did you make the lame man walk? I mean, think of the question. They're not saying, wow, what does this miracle mean? They're they're saying, who signed off and gave you the authority to do a miracle? That's the nature of religion. That's the nature of control. That's the nature nature of, of unholy power. That when God is actually working the supernatural, the miraculous, the wondrous, those things that can't be explained by the physical and the temporal, when God is doing that, there is this resistance because that kind of power threatens human power. And those who have human power don't want to relinquish it. So instead of rejoicing and falling on their face before the God of the Jews, these Jewish leaders said, who told you you could do this? Really, it illustrates a principle that is going to continue to manifest in every culture where the gospel is going to be um, advanced and also resisted. What is it? 
People don't want Christians to live out from under human authority. They, they do not want us to have even a divided allegiance, both being citizens of whatever country we're from, but also citizens of heaven. And so the, the, the flavor behind the question is, who do you think you are, Christians? Who do you think you are? And when it comes to our culture, when it comes to the sanctity of life issue, when we raise up our voices and we say, we will protect, we will enact, we will uh, uh, do whatever we need to do using our influence to protect the lives of the unborn, the, the snapback question is, who do you think you are? When it comes to the biblical definition of marriage in our country and we dare to stand on our Bibles, they ask the Church of America, who do you think you are? And when it comes to this issue of, of the schooling and the bathrooms and the locker rooms and our children and the need for their innocence to be protected and the need for their physical safety to be preserved, they look at us and they say, who do you think you are? By whose authority do you come off saying what you're saying and doing what you're doing? This aggressive interrogation, I'm going to tell you, friends, uh, I, I, I'm not even wondering anymore if this is going to happen. I'm telling you, it is happening, and it's going to happen ever-increasingly. By the way, I, I, you don't have to be a prophet to know that. Just read your Bible. Your Bible says that these things will continue, and evil will abound more and more, and, and all of the attributes of the end of the age compound and compile in such a way that there is no standard for morality. And those that do believe that there is a standard, and that standard is Jesus Christ, in the Word of God, there's going to be interrogation. There's going to be incarceration for some. But listen, all is not lost, so quit sucking your thumb, all right? Quit crying. Quit whining. This is not a day for, for us to mobilize our, our, the ministry of whining. That is not going to solve anything. Christians, listen, we are actually on the winning side. You need to remember that. You need to remember that we're actually the ones who are standing currently in victory, and so we're not waiting for stuff to be handed. Listen, it is a fight. God help me this morning. Spiritually invigorated. I love what Peter said. Now look at verse number eight. Then Peter, notice the characteristic there, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and the people of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And I love verse number 12, just to pile it on, Peter says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, this is awesome because this is somewhere the church has got to go. I'm going to tell you, I sense it. I even sense it in the room this morning. The pressure and expectation of political correctness and cultural diplomacy to where there is even in a house of worship uh, where we honor the, 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 the God of the word and the word of God, there is even a restlessness and discomfort in the hearts of some probably in this room saying, tone it down a little bit, preacher. Pull back a little bit. Oh, man, take the teeth out of that, man. Give us rounded edges on that thing. Listen, you can do that with certain time, uh, certain passages at certain times, but today's not the day for that. 
And let me tell you, we need to be spiritually invigorated. That doesn't say, it doesn't say Peter ticked off. It says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Peter fed up. It doesn't say Peter, you know, full of himself. It says Peter was spirit filled. That's not just some kind of ecclesiastical phrase. That means Peter, the body, the man, Peter was inhabited by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, just to clarify things, Peter had already been filled by the Holy Spirit. I just want to go ahead and say this. The fact that you were filled with the Spirit in 1998, it does not necessarily carry over to today. That we are to be being constantly filled with and by the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't happen on accident. And it usually doesn't happen in the life of a moving target that never slows down. That means we got to seek to steady ourselves and submit ourselves and position ourselves and abide ourselves right in the presence and the place where the Lord chooses to, to fill us. And because he was filled with the Spirit, he was filled with um, boldness. He, he, he literally, I mean, remember, this is an interrogation. He doesn't have a pulpit. He's, he's in trouble with man. But you never know it by his answer. Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit never gets in trouble. He can't. He's sovereign. Somebody better get in here with me this morning. Good night, alive. I'm going to start aiming in myself. But he goes right for the juggler. He says, hey, rulers and elders. In other words, I know who you are. I'm not mistaken about the fact that you're in authority. Rulers and elders, if you're trying to figure out how this lame man, because he's with them in, in, that, in that context, the lame man that had been healed, I mean, he had stirred up the place that day, walking and shouting and leaping and ticked off all the fundamentalists, and he was just, he was there that day, and just in all of the joy, I mean, that's what happens when you get set free and delivered and your chains fall off. You're not interested in maintaining the status quo. If you never walked before and all of a sudden you can walk, you don't want to just walk, you want to leap. You want to shout, you want to run. And so, anyway, all of this is going on, and Peter says, yeah, Jesus did this. And in case you don't remember who Jesus was, Jesus is the one that y'all conspired against and you crucified. And by the way, in case you missed it, you blew it because he rose again three days later. So he is all up in their grill about this. I just love that. So filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not cowering, he's not apologizing, he's not looking to negotiate on this. It's almost as if he's already died to himself. He said, what are you going to do, kill me? I mean, hallelujah, I've got Jesus, I've got the Lord. But I love the fact that he didn't back down. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that we need to be obnoxious about our values. But I am telling you we cannot afford to be silent. I, I don't know that there is a, a cookie-cutter way by which we must address the ills of our society. But the one thing that I'm afraid is happening over and over again is this appeasement philosophy where we, it's not only that they believe we don't have the right to say anything, we're starting to believe it. We're starting to, to, to operate in this apologetic, tentative kind of milk toast approach to life and faith and the fact that people are dying and going to hell. I mean, all this stuff that's going on in our culture, yes, I'm, I'm, I am thinking about the, the, the transgender bathroom locker room issue for our schools, but friends, it's not like it started last Friday. This stuff is snowballing on us, and somehow the, 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 the flavor, the aroma in society is that the, the holiest thing we can do is just, you know, step back and be polite. I don't think you can support that with Scripture. And I do believe it's going to take an incredible amount of wisdom, spirit-filled wisdom, not, not ingenuity, not cleverness, not diplomacy, 
but spirit-filled wisdom daily to know how we handle what comes across our plate that day. Because in warfare, let me tell you something, there's a lot of different weapons coming at you, and there's a lot of ways to be defensive, and there's also a lot of ways for us to go on the offense. And so as we go further down into this warfare and what it sometimes looks like, we see that it's not only spiritually, Peter being spiritually invigorated after being aggressively interrogated and unjustly incarcerated, we see that he was, even in the midst of this, the, the church was persistently intimidated. Watch this. So in the ensuing verses, verses 13 through 17 or 16, you, you've got the, the leaders coming together saying, what are we going to do about this? I mean, what, what, what are we going to do? Do we shut them up? Do we release them? I mean, we can't deny that this guy's been healed. And so this is what they decide to do. They're not going to tell Peter, they're not going to even approach the reality of the fact they need Christ. And so what they do is they're just going to handle the situation in verse 17. They're going to continue to intimidate the believers. In order that it may spread no further, what is that? The testimony of the healed man connected to the testimony of the resurrected Son of God. In order that that story may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called Peter and John and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, I know, listen, I, I understand the history of this nation. I understand that on paper we have freedom of religion, but I just want to ask you, does it feel free to you? Do you feel the overt sense that your expression and views as a Bible-believing child of God carry the same weight of being accepted by our culture as does whatever other agenda might be uh, promoted? Of course not. We're being squelched in every corner. We, we are now being relegated to an outdated, on the wrong side of history, group of people who are uneducated, ignorant. And by the way, we don't always help ourselves by the way we represent in public. I will grant you that. But the fact of the matter is, on paper, we have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. But when those two things combine in a church or in a, a Christian witness, it doesn't feel that free anymore. Why? Because there is this cultural undercurrent of intimidation against the people of God. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to pick one thing. You let the individual who is all about a woman's right to choose, pro-choice, pro-abortion, whatever you want to call it, she's all about that. You let her speak up in the break room and there will be some amens, some nodding of heads. They'll give her 15 minutes, 20 minutes. But if you dare to rebut about the sanctity of life as revealed in the Word of God, you will be shut down and shot down in a heartbeat. You know why? Because they don't want anybody speaking any more about anything in this man's name. Peter had just said, Peter had said, there isn't another name. It's the only name given to man from God under heaven whereby people can be saved. It might be real good for me to take just a moment with you that are here today, and you're, and you're good folks. You're moral, you're good, you're upstanding. You might consider yourself religious, you're a believer in God, and you try not to break the Ten Commandments, you try to do more good than you do bad, but as far as committing yourself to Jesus and taking up your cross daily and following him, that's, that doesn't appeal to you, but you, you're sure that uh, after, after your life ends, when you get to heaven's gate, you and God will be able to reason things out. Listen, it's a, it's a common way of thinking, especially down here in Bible Belt, United States of America. But I want to remind you of the exclusive statements of Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit when he said it. There is no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. 
There isn't another name. Say, well, Jeff, that's, that's just kind of narrow. It is narrow. Narrow is the way that leads unto life. And Jesus said there's only a few that find it. And so while we can be nice and polite and engage in normal social uh, politeness with people of different faiths, part of our call is to say, I'm sorry. Your confidence in Muhammad and the Quran will damn you. Yeah, I knew that wouldn't get any amens. That's okay. Your rejection of Jesus and your commitment to Hasidic rituals as an Orthodox Jew, that, that will not save you apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Buddha, a great thinker, dead, buried, still decayed. All of these things. And friends, a lack of, of commitment to Christ. In other words, a, a pantheistic view, meaning, oh, it's all good. No, it's not all good. The vast majority of it is damning. Peter stood up and he said it. That's a message that our culture doesn't want to get out. That's a message that hell doesn't want to get out. Friends, listen, I know I am ranting today. I don't do this often, but I ain't even asking your permission this morning. I just hope I have your ear. Listen, it is so intense in our culture that our churches are falling to it. Our churches don't preach exclusive Jesus. They take down the crosses because they don't want to offend people of no faith or other faith. And so in this, and, and listen, I don't sense that kind of pressure coming against any other religion. It's the Christians that need to tone it down. It's the Christians that need to water it down. It's the Christians that need to simmer down. Why do you think that is? Because the devil doesn't fight Islam. The devil doesn't fight Buddhism. The devil doesn't fight Taoism. The devil doesn't fight all the other isms or osophies. He fights the message of Jesus Christ because he knows that's the only message that can bring his captives into freedom. And so if the churches, if the supposed presumed representatives of Jesus start exchanging their spines for something less, there's a hefty price to pay for that. I hope you'll pray for those that speak, preach, those that are in the public eye, because it's coming. It is coming, and it won't stop in the pulpits. It will not stop. I'm telling you, it's coming. Don't give in to the intimidation. Say, Jeff, how can we not be filled with the Spirit? That's not an option. The days are coming, friends, where people that, you know, just want to ignore the command to be filled with the Spirit or it's too complicated, we don't know what it means, it's too subjective, uh, you better figure it out. Because the day's coming where if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're going to be filled with something that won't enable you to persevere. So let me go further. I prayed that he'd give me the spirit of a prophet this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Powerfully insulated. So what was the last thing that the leader said? They said, don't. Preach or teach in the name of Jesus. And look at Peter. And Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Do you know what he said? He is being polite there. He's saying, <clears throat> I hear you. I know what you're saying. You don't want us to talk about Jesus anymore. Now, guys, we've heard from God and now we've heard from you. And you're going to have to figure out what you would do, whether you would listen to God or you would listen to man. But as for me and my brother John here, we're going to tell you what we've seen and we're going to tell what we've heard. And that was it. 
Peter just basically said, I won't back down. Uh, the great prophet Tom Petty wrote a song about that. I won't back down, amen? <laughs> All my fellow southern rockers know what that means. Um, but, but we can't. We can't back down. But say, well, Jeff, maybe back down a little. It never stops with a little. It never stops. The devil doesn't want you to back down a little. He wants you to withdraw. He doesn't want, he's not, I mean, he'll bargain with you for a little while, but he always comes back to the table demanding a little more until he finally gets everything that he came originally wanting. That's just the way he operates. But we don't have to be intimidated. Uh, listen, I know it's intimidating, but in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, we've got to decide who we actually belong to. Who is the Lord of our lives? Let's not just whoop it up on Sundays and then be covert, undercover Christians Monday through Saturday. Let's don't just do it in the church house where there's no resistance. When we are being, we're, are we part of the country or not? Do we have a right to speak or do we not? Do we have a right to an opinion or not? So if our opinion is unpopular, quit sending yourself flowers and get over it. It's never been popular to being a biblical Christian. But what other choice do we have? I was reading this week in uh, the middle portions of the book of Revelation, just going it over it and over it and over again and revealing scenes that haven't happened yet. And, and, and watching the absolute intense persecution of believers at that time unto the death and seeing them, the picturesque words of John the Revelator, under the altar of God, crying out to God, when, when will be justice? When will we be avenged? When will our blood that was shed for the, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ, when will it be avenged? And, and they were told this, when the number is complete. In other words, there's more that are going to have to die for Christ. Friends, that is the future. And we can comfortably block those out of our minds because it busts the groove and it ruins the mood. But the reality is that evil intensifies at the end of the age to the point where some believers will have to choose between their physical lives, the lives of their loved ones, or their testimony for Jesus. It's already happening in the Middle East. ISIS probably won't be the ones that facilitate it to the end of the age because evil has innumerable faces and they just come up new and new and new. ISIS will probably burn out. It's evil and horrible now, but I'm going to tell you, if ISIS burns out, there will be plenty of groups and individuals standing in line saying, what can we do to the people of the Nazarene? And meanwhile, back home, People like us are fussing over the most foolish of things with each other. I'm not even going to go into specifics. That's a broken record. But I, I, when, I, when I think of what the call of the gospel is and I think about what irritates me and you and how tiny our little words are, our worlds are sometimes, I have to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Peter was powerfully insulated by the Lord. Let's go to the second point, and there's only two this morning. What spiritual warfare sometimes looks like, it's very intense. But let's, let's see what spiritual wind sometimes sounds like. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, when the Holy Spirit 
begins to be poured out. You said, Jeff, didn't that happen at Pentecost? Yeah. You're going to find as you study pneumatology and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the person, the work of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find that believers who already have the Holy Spirit residing because they're regenerate, they're reborn, also experience, it's a little Greek preposition called epi, it is the pouring out upon. Just because you have him within doesn't mean you don't need him to be poured out upon. The testimony of Scripture is that both are necessary as we live this Christian life. And friends, I'm going to tell you, and and I'm, I'm not throwing stones, I'm pointing something out. The blight of the doctrine that I was groomed in was that I was told when you have him within, you never need to worry about having him upon. And that is not backed up by Scripture. We must have not only the abiding presence, the residence of the Holy Spirit, but the eminence, the preeminence of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring. And of course, Joel chapter 2 prophesies that at the end of the age, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh, upon male and female and young and old and the free and the not so free. And it won't have regard, the pouring out will not have regard upon social status. It'll be on slave and free and men servants, maid servants. The gender issue is not going to be a factor because women of God will receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit like men of God do. And listen, that's already the case. And so you've, you've, you've got this idea in so many of us, and it's why we're, a lot of us aren't experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's because we say, well, we've got them. And we were trained by a bunch of cessationists to say, well, we've got them. What more do we need? Well, why are we told then to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you've got all you're going to get, why do you need to be filled and filled and filled and filled? And so we see that when he begins to move, nobody really has to say, was that the Holy Spirit? When he begins to move like I'm asking him to move, the staunchest cessationist in the church will say, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Nobody will have question marks. Now, I'm not saying that to to be antagonistic. I'm saying, man, that's going to be a good day. Because some of you want to believe, but you're afraid to believe, and much not even only afraid to believe, but more so afraid to experience. And so so you're saying, well, my, 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 my experience tells me that that doesn't happen. Well, no wonder you're, you're not experiencing what you don't believe in. But if you begin to believe and pursue and seek and, and pray and wait, he'll find you. So when does that happen? What's it going to look like? Well, let me give you a few things that may surprise you. Sometimes spiritual wind, the wind of the Holy Spirit, remember at Pentecost, he came in like a rushing mighty wind. It's going to sound like unity. Watch this. So John and Peter go back to the Christians and they're rejoicing in that they got incarcerated and intimidated and, and questioned and all of that. And, and then they tell it to all the church. And when they heard it, when the church hears the report of the persecution, they lift their voices together to God. Together. They, together. They, together. They, together. It's that aspect of koinonia where they didn't just go to church together, they did life together. They shared in victories together. They suffered together. They shared property together. If one had a need, another one had the means to meet that need, and they did so. So there was a continuity and a unity. And when the report of persecution and hostility and resistance against the church found Peter and John, and Peter and John came back, the church, remember before when it was coming, the the church had scattered. 
I mean, the church had really scattered. When Jesus was crucified, everybody was kind of hiding out and everything. But now, because the Holy Spirit is unifying them, they come back together and they're on the same page. And together with one voice, together in unity, they said what's about to follow. My friends, I'm going I'm to make a prediction here. Given enough time, the church in America, there will be no denominations because denominations will be completely unnecessary and irrelevant when persecution hits because persecution is going to purge all of the superficial churchianity stuff right off the professing church. It's all going to be burned away. When the fires of persecution hit the American church, the, the tares are going to scatter. You're going to find a lot less people going to church when real persecution hits. And so what it's going to happen like fire always does with gold, it's going to purify it. And in that purification, you're going to have committed believers that will go to the death for their testimony of Jesus Christ and their refusal to bow down to the uh, idols of the, of the age. You're going to have that happen. And then because of that, all the denominational stuff is just going to be purged away. Ain't nobody going to be fighting over when a person or how a person is going to get baptized. Uh, we had some friends that wanted to go and, and, and did, some people in our church that wanted to go on a humanitarian project in, in, in the southeast. And it was headed up by a church of a, of a certain denomination. And when they found out that the, the folks from our church were not of their denomination, they literally told them, you can't ride with us. They're going to feed the hungry and clothe the poor. When the fires of persecution hit, all that kind of nonsense is going to be burned away. And what you're, going to be have, what you're going to have left is a bunch of people that love Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. And so it's going to sound like a lot like unity. Uh, we've battled through some things here in our church in the last five years. Those that came from Cornerstone know some of that too from your history. But I'm going to tell you something. I have never worked with a more unified group of elders than we're working right now. I, I can't believe it. We leave our meetings hugging, happy, high-fiving, praying, rejoicing. It's happening also in other areas. Are we still got some growing pains? Of course we do. But brothers and sisters, growing pains are a lot different than, than fighting with each other. And so we're committed to unity here. Why? Because that's the way the wind blows. That's the way the Holy Spirit moves. It also is going to sound a lot like Scripture when the wind begins to blow. Remember, this is a place of wind and warfare. The warfare is going to come, but it's not going to outlast the wind of the Spirit. And so verse 24 through 26, this is what they cried out together. Sovereign Lord, I love that, because when persecution hits, you better remember who's sovereign and who's not. <laughs> sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who threw the mouth of our father David. Now he's about to, they're about to quote Psalm 2 here. You said by the Holy, who said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. What am I trying to say here? When the Holy Spirit begins to do the work in times of warfare, I'm going to tell you, he's going to sound a lot like the scriptures do because he's the author of the scriptures. And so we don't move further away from our Bibles when the Holy Spirit begins to move. You watch me here. A lot of folks, and forgive me if this offends you, but I've already offended the other half of the crew, so let me go for it. In a lot of charismatic circles, the most spiritual thing that can happen when the Holy Spirit moves is the Bible doesn't get read. The Bible, the preaching doesn't happen. Oh, God really moved today. The Spirit moved today because we didn't even get to open our Bibles. Be real careful with that. 
Because friends, listen, the Holy Spirit loves his book. And when he does move, it is going to be in conjunction with what he's revealed. Notice what Peter and John and the Christians did. When they wanted to give context to what they were going through, they looked in their Bible. And they, they brought Psalm 2 and ported it to right there where they were. That's what we need to do when we look at what's going on around us. And that's all I'm doing this morning. I'm saying look at what is going around in the world today, going on around us in the world today. And then look at your Bible. And you're going to find out that the Bible said it was going to happen. And then you're going to find also the Bible's instructed us and equipped us and they commissioned us in how to respond to what's going on in the world around us today. And the last thing that we need to do is to bury our heads in the sand and apologize for being disciples of the Son of God. That we need to be bold and we need to seek the Lord and to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it sounds like reverence. Verse number 27 and 28. I love this. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, who gathered together against them Herod and Pilate, the Gentiles and the people. By the way, just write in your margin, everyone. Every facet of human life was coming against Jesus when he was crucified. But notice at what they sang and said to the Lord, that these human instruments of evil were fulfilling what God had determined, planned, predestined to take place. Yeah, this is tense territory, and I'm not going to solve the human responsibility and divine sovereignty issue in the next 30 seconds, but I will say this. When Peter and John and the Christians of the early day looked at what was going on around them, loss of freedom, loss of property, loss of reputation, many of them would lose their careers, a lot of them would lose their lives, they were able to reverence the Lord and say, none of this caught you by surprise. Lord, what we have seen fulfilled by evil man, you are still supreme and sovereign over all of it. That's why when I'm looking at what's going on, whether it be the Oval Office where I'm extremely hurt and disappointed about what came last week, you just, I hope you are too, frankly. Whether it's what's going on with ISIS, what's going on with Boko Haram, what's going on in, in the Philippines with all of the Islamic warfare coming against the, the, the body of Christ. I look at all of that and I don't believe that God has taken a nap. I do know that at the end of the story, though the chapters of the story don't always make sense to me. It's probably above my pay grade to figure all of that out. The one thing I do recognize is the author of the story knows how it's all woven together, and he's already told us what the end of the story is. The end of the story is that all of the enemies of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, every single one of them. And by virtue of the fact that he gave his blood for those of us who have believed upon him, those of us that have said yes to his lordship and received him by faith, by virtue of that transaction, that justification, it, because he has won the overall battle, so have we. So we don't operate from a standpoint of, oh, no, we're going to lose. We operate from the standpoint of, oh, God, you've already won. How do we steward today? What do we do today? What do we do in this season? What do I do with my life? What do I do with my resources? What do I do with my testimony? That's what the questions need to be. And we reverence him as being sovereign over all of this. Verse 29, it sounds like courage. When the wind blows, when the spirit moves, it's going to sound like courage. Look at what they said. And now, Lord, oh, they told daddy on them. Now, Lord. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue 
to speak your word with all boldness. Mm, I'm going to fight against the spirit of over-diplomacy. That's not a word, but we'll use it. I understand that Christians are to be kind. I understand that that's a fruit of the spirit, kindness, gentleness. I, I don't believe that being obnoxious is tethered to the heart of God. I just don't think we can say, yeah, I have the gift of obnoxiousness. Yeah, that's why you have like one friend and she's obnoxious too. That's not what I'm talking about. But we've gone so far in the other direction, Christians. Listen to me. We've gone so far in the other direction that our passivity, our blandness, our shuffling of our feet with our proverbial hands stuffed in our pockets and our shrugs have emboldened our culture to come against us, not meeting our gentleness and our diplomacy with gentleness and diplomacy of their own, but meeting us with aggression and intimidation to the point now where they are aghast if we dare to speak a word representing our values and beliefs. When the early church was intimidated, they called a prayer meeting, not a protest. They called a prayer meeting. They said, God, we're coming up a very, against a very real enemy. Lord, you have heard their taunts. You have heard their threats. So, Lord, we're not asking you to send down fire and brimstone. We're asking you to send boldness to our hearts. Sometimes we want God to deal with our enemies, and sometimes God says, I will if you'll step up and speak out. And so it sounds like power, verse 30. Look at the, look at the response that they asked for. Give us boldness, and Lord, while we open our mouths, you stretch out your hand, and when you do it, Lord, let there be healings. Let there be signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Please hear me on this. I'm going to speak it very gently. You can still pray that. You can still pray that. I think we should. <laughs> Lord, in a day where opposition is coming against us in new levels, your power must be revealed in new levels, new for our generation, not new in the economy of God, but new in our generation. Lord, undeniable healing. Lord, signs and wonders. Say, Jeff, well, it's an evil, adulterous nation that seeks after a sign. That's seeking after a sign in order to believe. What, what we're talking about here is believing God for signs because they are a part of what he has always done through his people. It's not saying, Lord, help us to believe, give us a sign. That is evil. It's saying, Lord, because we believe, we know you're the miracle-working God, and there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that these things have come to an end. The reason why we don't see them, Lord, is not because you don't do them. It's because we've stopped believing for them. I believe part of what Newbridge is going to be, if we'll pursue and we'll wait and we'll humble ourselves, I do believe that the Lord is going to entrust healing revival to come through this place. I believe that people will come here and they will experience healing of every sort, mental, emotional, deliverance from bondage, and I believe physical healing. I believe we've already seen some, by the way. We just haven't known, known how to steward it. We've seen people healed from cancer when the church didn't even believe in this stuff. I mean, that's pretty incredible. That's the grace of God. But what would happen if we not only believed it theologically, but pursued it realistically and aggressively? 
I believe my God heals. His name is Jehovah Rapha. He attached the, the, the act of healing to his own name. Lord, will you stretch out your hand to heal? What if he would do it this morning? Are we going to wait on something? Waiting for Easter? What are we waiting on? What what if somebody in the congregation had faith to come this morning and say, I just want to come before the Lord. I have a need. I have a physical need. I have a mental need. I have an emotional stronghold. I, I need deliverance. I need healing. And what if that person was met by intercessors that also firmly believed and had confidence that God will do exactly that? So it sounds eventually and ultimately, last verse, like an explosion. Sometimes when the wind blows, it sounds like an explosion. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, please don't miss that. They're lifting their voices. All they're doing is praying. They don't have a PR team. They don't have Twitter. They're just praying. When they had prayed in the place where they were gathered together, it was shaken physically. It was a manifestation. The place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say what manifestations came from that, but everybody knew that the Holy Spirit was filling them. And the result was that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We have heard precious sermons about the still small voice of God. I love those sermons. Those are great sermons. Elijah, the cave, here's the whisper of God. Precious sermons. But we've heard so many of those that we don't believe God roars anymore. We we literally believe God's always walking around whispering, I love you. I love you. You are my favorite. I love you. You're you're precious. And so when the concept of the mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire and the cacophony of action. I I love, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That means something was happening. It wasn't theories, it's acts. The activity, the acts of the Holy Spirit. But some of us have lived way too long, maybe our whole Christian life, and we've never seen the wind blow. We've never experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit Some of us are afraid of it because it'll take you out of the horizontally bound and chained world and it'll open up a vertical portal to you and you will experience God in ways that you never have before. I'm going to tell you as I close this message, unless that happens in this generation of Christians, lukewarmness will turn to frozenness. So what is going to happen? The heat and the fire of a Holy Spirit-filled body of Christ beginning in local assemblies and spilling out to our communities, that is what's going to make the place where we live shake.